Hello, guys, and welcome back to the podcast. I I know that I always say that I'm really excited to bring you an episode, and I always am. They are really fantastic. I love learning myself in these conversations, which I really want to do more of and just like be curious about everyone doing different things in the space. I think that there's so much to be learned um, from just chatting and people having open conversation. And this particular episode, I was actually in Florida at the time under a lot of um, just external stress. And I was also nervous to record this episode because it's with someone that I really look up to. um, And that is Noelle Asmar. And she, if you don't know, she's a Canadian designer, she's an equestrian, and of course, the founder of the contemporary equestrian brand, Asmar Equestrian. I'm sure that many of you guys, if you don't own the pieces from any of her collections, you have definitely seen them in stores. They're beautiful, they're unique and functional. Um, which we talked a lot about in this episode, you know, the inspiration behind the pieces and the brand. And of course, her all-weather riding jacket was the first thing that she designed specifically for herself and riding outside. Um, We talked about her passion for horses and also business. It was amazing to learn about her travels and her international experience as a young person. And I questioned her around her confidence and her courage to do a lot of the things that that she's managed to do, and especially at a young age. And it was just overwhelmingly inspiring. I was just in a place during this interview where I was feeling very vulnerable and open, and it was just a wow discussion. Noelle had so many things to add about sustainability and building towards a future where more people have access to the sport. And this was something that we just talked about um, that came up. And, you know, her experience and perspective when it comes to cultural differences and, and understanding how much different life looks in different areas of the world and how she's used that to inform her decision-making and her designs. She's so accomplished and has many accolades. And, you know, it was just really lovely to hear her talk about her own challenges, being an entrepreneur, being a private company, um, and having children, you know, as a female in the space, running a business, all of the things that I wanted to ask, I actually just did, and it was so well-received. Needless to say, I'm extremely excited for you guys to hear this episode and get you know a pinch of what I got out of it. I left feeling really uplifted and motivated, and not really anything is possible if you put your mind to it. Um, you know, and and really work on those limiting beliefs. I think the brand itself is amazing and the mission of the brand is evolving and and wonderful and noelle has a lot of big things that she wants to do in the equestrian industry and i don't suspect for a minute that they're not going to happen um so if you loved this episode make sure you reach out and let them know if you don't already follow asmar equestrian on instagram make sure you do 
and they have been kind enough to provide the Spring and Equestrian podcast listeners with an exclusive discount code for their spring collection, which is site-wide, and that is SPRINGIN10. For your discount, make sure you shop Asmar, take a look at their new pieces. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this, and I will let you get into the episode. Welcome to the Spring and Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Parr, and this is the place to be for all things equestrian lifestyle, horses, entrepreneurship, and inspiration for all of your equestrian endeavors. I'm here to get your insider's addition to what it's really like having a business or career in the equestrian industry and find out how people balance their passion and their businesses. I'm so excited to have you here with me, so come along for the ride. So many of you guys have expressed that you're interested in getting a position within the industry and Haute Equestrian is your modern source for equestrian jobs. They have recruitment services, business management services, and an essentials boutique. Through these management services, they help equestrian business owners streamline their busy schedules. And you can also look for equestrian-specific jobs on their website. They have some super exciting updates in the works, so make sure you check them out at www.hautec.com. I wanted to take a moment to talk to you guys about the standby list. The standby list is a budget-friendly, eco-conscious option for equestrian apparel and tack. It's a consignment store located here in Ontario, just outside of Barrie, and they offer high-end consignment with many brand names at a fraction of the retail price. It's a really easy process, and they ship to Canada and the U.S. Some of the brands you might recognize, like Amigo, Tailored Sportsman, Back on Track, RJ Classics, Equifit, Roots Equestrian, Equiline, Struck, Horse Pilot. The list goes on. If you guys want to check them out, you can visit the website at www.thestandbylist.com or on Instagram at shopthestandbylist. I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia. So we have a lot of horses. We have where I think in BC, probably the horse community within Canada. We have the largest horse community there. And, you know, probably much like where you are right now in Florida, if you're in certain pockets, it's pretty hard not to be influenced by these beautiful ponies all around us. And I, I would say for me and my entire connection with horses um, has been really out of the show ring. So it's really been connection to the animal, you know, time spent with ponies. I think I got my first horse when I was 12 and I'm shy to tell you her name. It was uh, her registered name was Fantasy Madonna, if you can imagine. That's everyone's <laughs> first pony. <laughs> oh my goodness. She was a quarter horse Arab. She sort of did everything. And, you know, when you're, when you're young, you, you know, your priorities are different and you go through stages of your life. I find the beauty and beauty and being connected to horses is sort of goes through with all the chapters of your life you know I think of myself as a kid and then you know going to college and then I moved overseas for 10 years and lived in Beirut for 10 years but I still rode there I found you know an equestrian center and continued to ride but never never competitively just so I I would say for me the entire journey has always been out of the show ring yeah 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've had lots of people and professionals on here that have been like heavily influenced by horses completely out of the show ring, nothing to do with yeah. eating. I mean, there's a lot of things that they, they bring to our lives, but um, you breezed over it. You moved overseas quite young. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to talk a little bit about your experience with that. What were you pursuing um, as a young person or as a, as a, adolescent as far as your professional career went and how did that evolve over time my first my first choice for career was going to be a vet like I think so many of us right I'm going to be a vet because I want to spend my entire days with animals and I'll just read you know going backwards a little bit I, I I had a pivotal moment with a career counselor at high school and she went through you know all those character type questions and she's you love animals, but there's no way you can sit in one place for very long. You're going to need to be able to move. And like, are you sure you can stay dedicated to a clinic for 365 days in one place? And she nailed it on the head for me. And I have family overseas in uh, Europe and the Middle East. So I ended up going to hotel management school, which was a perfect avenue for me to be able to go work in different countries and inspired, honestly, really by I wanted to learn languages. So I had, I had goals really, very young in my age. I was 16. I think I told my mom, I wanted to travel the world by the time I was 30. I wasn't going to get married until after I was 30. I wanted to own my own house before I was 30. And just that kid that kind of just had thrown really big targets out there. And, and I think that too is important because as you get older, you realize you do have chapters in your life where you can get away and go do these types of things. And, you know, if you decide to have a family, you, it gets harder to just pack up and leave. Mm-hmm. So I went to Beirut. I thought I would be there for a year. I ended up staying for 10. And why I stayed for 10, I stayed for four of those years doing a hotel opening with an international group that was opening up um, a five-star beach resort. And that was an amazing experience. Learned to speak Arabic while I was there and touch up on French. So just culturally very, very enriching. And then I joined a firm in Switzerland for another four years and was business development director for the Middle East, North Africa and West Asia. So I was a young girl. I was, I don't know how old you are, but I was in my early twenties and, you know, flying to Egypt for two weeks on my own, flying to Kuwait, to all these areas, people thought, what are you doing by yourself traveling to these areas? And those are those those are the moments you learn like how to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And you, you build know. your own confidence and character in doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And different cultures, you know, I spent a lot of time in Italy. And so between the European, you know, various cultures, the Middle East, Asia I was in, you know, India, China, Vietnam, all of those areas for many years. It's when you start to see all these cultures, you just you have a different perspective. Mm-hmm. It changes not you changes your perspective. It makes you more. It forces you to be more understanding and accepting and better with people. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And so, where did that? Obviously, you had some sort of inherent confidence um, to do those things as a young person. Do you know where that came from, or or how did you? navigate when you were traveling like that and you mentioned people were questioning what you were doing as well and obviously Mm -hmm. you stood in your own and Mm -hmm. like what you were doing was you were really passionate about it so 
do you have any kind of perspective on your mindset at that time and and what what that was like that's a great question because I think society in general are challenged with this right um well I'll give credit first to my parents that you know every time I'd suggest I want to go do something they didn't instill fear that wasn't their control channel and often we do that I mean I I have three children so they you know they say things and it's inside I'm like oh my god please don't do that I'm a little bit more conscious to not drive those answers with fear. So they always said, okay, do it, but give me your plan. So right. it forced me to learn, don't just wing it all. I, I, I could, I'm sure we all do a pretty good job winging it. I, I still love to just wing it. Um, but I just tried and nobody told me really that I couldn't. Mm-hmm. So I just did. Yeah. And, and I've all my little stumbles and there were many of them. They were on my own terms. Nobody told me what to do. So I only had myself to be accountable to. Um, it was good. It was good. It teach, taught me a lot. It taught me a lot. It taught me how to be a better mom and taught me how to be a better leader in my company. I mean, you know, to, to really listen, not to lose touch with your intuition. Yeah, that's an amazing lesson for anybody listening. I think sometimes there is a lot of... Um, you know, a lack of self-confidence or just really knowing, I, I think a lot of people listening might be challenged in, in listening to their own intuition or knowing what that feels like. So it's very, yeah. very cool to hear that because of, of course you've accomplished so much in your life. And I love that you mentioned, you know, no one told me I couldn't, so I just did. Um, mm. I think that's a really powerful statement, but, mm. you know, obviously you're very heavily influenced by your travels and very passionate about that. So how did that progress then to starting your own company and, and doing, you know, what you're doing multiple things, but maybe you can just give me the story about how that led into um, kind of the first branch of your sure. own business. Sure. Um, it was super organic. I mean, being in the hotel in a country that was rebuilding after a war, you have a lot of foreigners in your workplace um, that don't always speak the same language. And, you know, there's, they're coming from countries that are from developing nations. So there is a sense of, you know, a different culture and how they were treating people in the service industry. And that, you know, as a Canadian or as an American, you really, you know, we have different set of values and how we expect each other to be treated and, and we take for granted that we can show up in brand new clothes and brand new pair of shoes. We take that for granted. Um, so one of the most exciting, most empowering thing I felt like my, my, my time over there in the opening of the one property, actually, and in another property that I was doing some work for, was reuniforming the housekeeping team. Not the team at the front desk, the one that gets all the, you know, glory and the thank yous and everyone, but the housekeeping team that were looked, you know, haggard, they didn't have their hair done, they didn't have new clothes, they were wearing their shoes from the street, and really just took time with all these women, they were all women, and from all different countries, and, you know, tears, and the emotional feedback from just somebody stopping to be like, you matter, Mm -hmm. I know that even just dressing you will empower you to a level that maybe you've never even been able to have at home, it's kind of sad. Yeah. So 
that that touched me in a big way and maybe I didn't realize it at the time because I went still several years in hotel management wasn't doing anything in, in in apparel but when I moved to back to Vancouver when I was 28 um almost 10 years um over there I had been going like I was saying to like Vietnam and China and all these different areas Hong Kong and I started designing clothes for myself and my friends and it was just a side little gig. I loved it. Was very passionate about it. It really juiced me to have that creative experience, build a product, bring it to friends, have a good reaction and be like, hey, could you go do some more? So obviously there was little seeds being planted, you know, like every entrepreneurial journey. If we go back, you kind of realize, hmm, maybe that's why I started to do these little things, you know, Um so I came back to Vancouver. My mom's a nurse and my sister's an esthetician. Um, so I, I realized there was nobody in the world creating a spa uniform. So I started doing uniforms for spas, um, started my first dot com in 2002. So 20 years ago and was quite ahead of our time. We were the only online e-commerce store selling uniforms. And so it took off really quick with the Marriott's, the Four Seasons. We opened up city center Las Vegas uh, with uniforms for over 5,000 people. And it took off much quicker than you know I'd ever expected. And then it branched off and we started to do hotel. Um, I'll tell you how we connected to Equestrian. Yeah. So I... We, my husband and I built a home in an equestrian estate community in British Columbia, and we get a lot of rain. And because I was always doing garments, I, we got our horses at home. I'd never had our horses at home, always, you know, either boarded and that at home experience is so different. As you probably know, you're out in all kinds of weather. So I designed the all weather rider jacket. Do you know it Jess? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right, so I designed that for myself to get out in the rain and ride because I really refused to wear those. You remember the big heavy outbacker, you know, oil skin piece? And yeah, so I started wearing it. I'd be out hacking and, and just so many requests for this jacket. And so I did a final prototype. I took it to the British Equestrian Trade Association in the UK and they were hosting a big event and entered it into um, their annual most innovative rider apparel contest and my husband was like you're gonna start another business aren't you <laughs> I always say that in this story because it's always been maybe test a little bit before yeah, I'd yeah. officially launch and and you know you're a coach and you're a trainer also and you're constantly trying things and you're seeing you know how you can evolve your own business because you test before anybody even realizes what you're doing and so it won most innovative rider apparel of the year really hadn't really launched the, the brand yet as Marquestrian. Um, I didn't know I was pregnant with my third child at the time. So, so yeah. Wow. In a nutshell. Yes. But a serial entrepreneur, you know, always mm -hmm. finding little things that you, I mean, clearly you're very creative because if it's not available to you, you're just like, I'm going to make it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so what do you think? I don't know. Um, as far as the actual business, uh, like at, on the equestrian side, yeah. how has networking and your ability to like create those connections even around the world 
played a role in developing your businesses because that's a lot of what I'm hearing, you know, there's opportunity in numbers and people being able to see what you're creating and know what you're doing. Um, and I think for people listening that have dreams, they feel mm -hmm. like they're in a small world. Um, and I know that it's so important for, you know, people to nowadays, especially in this day and age, we have a lot more access to be able to reach bigger audiences and more consumers. So back when you were starting these companies and businesses, you know, how has that really helped develop what you've been doing and, and what are some tips and tricks that you have for people who are just starting out? Um, stay really hands-on in your business. I think that's really important too, you know, as depending what kind of business you have, if you're in consulting and service, that's one thing. If you're in product, that's another thing, but just think about how much easier it's gotten for people to get to market and to connect with communities with social media and all the different channels within social media, you have direct access. It's about, it's about being authentic. It's about understanding who your customer is and you staying authentic as well. It's like not getting swayed by all these other people you could be speaking to versus really knowing where you bring value and staying focused in where you bring value. And with regards to networking, you know, dial into local entrepreneur groups. That's really important. I, I did not realize that until I was much older. I mean, I, I started, I became a member of EO, which there are EO chapters right across North America. It stands for Entrepreneurs Organization. And it is for, you know, they break it down by where you are in your revenue. So it is a higher revenue um, threshold of 2 million. But what they have is a incubator program for those that are just starting out. And so you don't have to be at that level to be able to get in, get all the coaching and the guidance to be able to grow your business. So I would say, you know, there's a lot of options out there and networking is important just to get your product or your service out there and selling it. But more importantly, you need support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was kind of the next question that I had for you um, was, did you have any mentorship or anyone that you looked up to or aspired to be like, or, or kind of do some of the things that they were doing when you were growing your businesses? Um, yeah, I'm sure, you know, along the way, so many people influenced me, just the ones that were, you know, not closing doors. You always remember the people that were there, those pivotal moments, but I'd have to say mentor. I never had that one mentor, yeah. you know, um, maybe it would have, taking me down another path I'm not sure but now I do have an older gentleman um loads of experience in his 70s who has flipped over a hundred companies and been there done that no ego nothing to prove just open book and I realize wow had I had somebody like that in my life even 10 years ago yeah I would have made some really different decisions so yes encourage your your audience to go find a mentor if you can mm -hmm. and it's easier today if you're deliberate about it yes absolutely was there any point in time where you did have you you mentioned little stumbles or obstacles or challenges mm -hmm. are there any that really stick out in your mind where you maybe you questioned you know the direction you were going in yeah i i don't know if you know this story um okay so we've had uniforms as a division we own pedicurebowls.com. So it's another uh, line we designed for spas. 
Then we started an ASMAR question in 2011. And as, Mar as ASMAR question was evolving, I started to do a lot of lifestyle apparel um, outside of the ring type of apparel, you know, sweaters, long coats, dresses, summer wear. And then I launched a fashion brand. So launched a fashion brand. It took off. We had showrooms, five showrooms across the United States. It went really, really quick. Um, and we had almost 200 retailers carrying our garments. It went so fast. It was a brand that could have really accelerated, but I am private. I own all my companies, hundred percent. I don't have partners and to have continued to have escalated that without the cash flow injection, say from investors, et cetera. Um, it wasn't sustainable. So I'll never forget, I closed that division in 2018. Hard to do emotionally because yeah. I was so invested and the team was so invested and we had grown our team to really build that division. The lesson is this, the lesson is get consulting when it comes to cash flow because you can have all the ideas in the world and they, it doesn't mean you can't do it. And I think as an entrepreneur, um, you have to get... You have to get straight with yourself on, I'd always, I'd always think, well, I can do it. Yeah. So I'd do it. Like we talked about in the beginning of this conversation, I can do that. It's working. I can do it. What I didn't know at the time was that it would require a structure within the business and a totally different operating structure to sustain and grow it to the level of a large fashion brand which was my goal yeah so yeah that was a bit of a heartbreak um and then we dressed the canadian team for the olympics in 2016 for rio the rio olympics and world equestrian games i'd say those were huge moments for the brand really really big moments for the brand for many reasons one it's complicated you know we i met with somebody that was leading the program at ralph lauren for the Ralph Lauren uniform for the American team and the logistics behind it are so different than operating your business because you get a team, as you know, that's announced very late in the game. You're not pulling product off of the shelf that is existing. You're, you're, you're designing it and producing it for them in a very short period for all these different sizes, both male and female and multitude of styles. Super complicated right super super complicated amongst all the other things you're already doing in your business just to keep your business going yeah that's a that's a huge undertaking but obviously it was an amazing experience it was great probably something yeah very big for the brand itself so um i didn't know you know specifically that you're completely private with your businesses um and, and I wondered if you could just speak a little bit on that, if that's something that's just kind of your value, you get to keep control and you get to keep everything kind of authentic to you. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure people would just be interested to know. Sure. I never saw it any other way, to be honest. We've been approached so many times by investors that either want to buy us out or come in and, um, you know, be part of the growth. I would say that um, if there was somebody to come in, it has never been the right person. So I think that is key. I'm open to the idea for sure, but it would have to be great alignment. And so for anybody that's thinking about this and, you know, there's fewer of us 
that are not having partners, startup partners, and, yes. so forth, and there are those with partners. So there is, again, um, lots to consider. I mean, I think it doesn't always have to be a financial question. Do you know what I mean? Like when you're starting out your business, depending on the amount of capital you need to start your business, hopefully you can start it at some level where you start to prove your product. The whole proven product theory is very important. Um, <clears throat> what I mean by that, to give an example, is look at the all-weather rider. Yeah. One piece, go test it, get it out to market, let it start to fund some of the things you're doing, prove your theory, prove your product to market strategy, make sure that you're understanding, you know, today, as easy as it is to get to the public, because you have all these proven channels, social channels, you know, easy ways to get on, you know, build your own website overnight. I mean, there's all these, there's all these new things out there. It takes manpower now. One yeah. person, as I'm sure you know, can't do it all. Can't do it all. So that's where maybe if you can't afford to pay somebody, an employee, you will find yourself more incentivized to take on a partner. But ask yourself this question, this very important question. If that's the only reason you're bringing on this partner, don't go down that avenue. That would be my advice is go get more consults, go, go get consulting uh, from financial professionals, from your bank, from your regular bank, prove your theory, do a little bit of your homework up front and create a, find somebody that can help you navigate a cash flow forecast. Don't miss these little steps because that's where you're, you'll have a false start several times. Oh, I'm ready to go to market. Oh, I got to market. I can't afford it. Stop. Go again. Yeah. So yeah, there's, um, I think a lot oftentimes partnerships are started because two people are great friends. Yeah. They don't necessarily look at, here's a book I'm going to recommend actually for anybody that is interested in starting a business, read this book. It's Traction by Gina Wickman. And it's honestly an operating business model for entrepreneurs, which is very different than corporations that aren't run by entrepreneurs. That would be for sure something you should read if you're considering starting your own business. And then if you want to have a partner, identify your strengths, where your gaps are, and make sure that that person totally fills it and you guys aren't stepping on each other's feet. Yeah. I mean, this is wonderful advice for anybody listening. Um, fantastic. I think that like all of those points are something that you, you would learn, you know, when you go to school for something like this and like nowadays, because they're not teaching a lot of this in programs. And I'm sure that you didn't, I don't think you went to school for any type of entrepreneurship. So you're learning this as you go. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that's amazing. And thank you for sharing all that because mm -hmm. uh, anybody listening who's interested in, in pursuing entrepreneurship as a profession it's very complicated and it's very different for everyone so fantastic um and I wanted to talk a little bit about the like the equestrian apparel pieces the designs some of the stories behind a couple of them if you would share because I know that everything is kind of designed with with all of those things in mind functionality and also of course fashion and look so mm -hmm. you want to share some of specific ones that really stick out to you the all-weather rider is an obvious we've kind of talked a little bit about yeah. it but it set the tone for 
the whole collection. And, you know, I didn't mention, I'm not a trained designer. So I learned to be a designer. I was the only designer in the company for the first 10 years. So that meant me getting into the factories, learning about the patterns, going to choose all my own fabrics, working with labs to test them, like to have had that experience of hands-on for the entire process of the garment development to the warehouse, to the customer, to understand that whole process um, keeps me connected to my why, keeps me connected to, I'm not interested in just pumping out pretty things. I don't have that, I don't have that DNA, you know? I didn't go to design school just to think, okay, I've got two seasons I need to design for. I need to pump out these two collections every year. It's not where the inspiration comes for every season. And staying connected to being purpose-driven equestrian apparel, there you go. You know exactly what you're doing every morning and why you're doing it. So the all-weather rider is the staple of the whole collection. It's the why we do what we do. And so even though we expanded to, to lifestyle apparel, every single sweater in our lifestyle apparel, machine washable, get green grime from your horse on it, it's going to wash out. So there's real purpose behind every single piece. And it's our ruler. It's our check mark. Before we say, yep, we're going to add that to the collection. We're going to produce it. Does it meet X, Y, Z? Are we staying true to who we are? And, you know, that's important. That helps you stay focused. Yeah, no, absolutely. You, you studied um, environmental sciences, I saw. I did, yes. <laughs> and I have a couple of questions for you on that. Oh, no. Um, well, you're in the equestrian industry from a different angle. You're, and I'm in the equestrian industry for a different angle. And I also have my daughter who started riding competitively. So we sort of see, you know, a nice global view of what our industry is doing amongst different ages. Mm-hmm. When we first launched Asmar Equestrian, we weren't a sustainable brand. You know, and four years ago, maybe five years ago, five years ago, we said, you know, it's not good enough. Like, how are we going to make instrumental changes that just in any business don't happen overnight? It takes a lot of planning to be able to to pull it off. Yeah. How do you feel about um, our industry? Like, we talk a lot about sustainability in our business now because we've transferred almost all of our fabrics to be sustainable fabrics but I don't hear the connection yet like in the industry you know in our industry and fashion yes but tell me about your thoughts from more your areas yeah like I am you know I don't have much experience when it comes to retail or apparel or anything like that obviously I'm a trainer and one of the things that I find is the biggest um obstacle when it comes to sustainability in any industry, but I, I think that our industry is behind in, in many different areas, mm-hmm. um, which is why I do this podcast because I get to learn and then I get to share these conversations with everybody who's in it. Um, you know, we're behind in many different ways, but as far as, you know, our, our outlook when it comes to that, it's not something that's talked about very often. I think the biggest obstacle is, is, People it, that are, for instance, like the people that you design your brand for, which are people who are maybe not as 
I mean, there's a wide range, I'm sure, as far as demographics yeah. go. But I'm thinking in my own mind that my demographic is a lot of people who can't afford to show at a high level, but they can afford to uh, experience their horses. They can afford to do some competing, but most of all, it's about their relationship with their horse. Yeah, That's I, what I, that. Them, right? I understand that. Yeah. So it's almost like the equestrian middle-class, <laughs> um, you yeah. know? And so that's the barrier, I think, because when companies and businesses want to, of course, you know, be environmentally conscious, there's a cost associated with that True. that trickles down to the consumer who is now these, you know, people who are kind of strapped already doing what they're doing and doing what they love, but horses are hard to afford. Aren't they? Um, so that's, I do think where there's this like disconnect where people kind of look away and they're a little bit ignorant with it and as am I, um, just because of the costs associated, but there's a lot of up and coming ideas around it. And there's lots of businesses and brands that are really taking it very seriously. And I think it's of course the right thing to do. There's value behind it. And, and you know, it's just, it's a slow evolution. I, I do believe in my, in my experience. And I do sit in that, that area with my entire demographic that listens to this podcast. You know, there are things that are just, sometimes not as affordable. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to be a part of and, and purchase, but, or even just, you know, to be more sustainable in your own life. Sometimes that can become a little bit more expensive. Uh, what is, there's a saying, I, I'm not going to get this one right, but it's, it's, um, I met, an, I met a woman actually from Finland at a big equestrian event this weekend. And we were talking about quality, whether it's Right. recycled or not recycled and she's been a customer of ours since and so she had the first all-weather rider in 2011 so she came to me and shared me shared a story so she's Finnish and she said in Finland you know you know we're very not necessarily conservative country but not a wealthy country mm -hmm. right and we can't afford to buy poor she said oh totally resonated with me she right. said, I have my coat. It's been with me for 10 years. Right. And she's, and it's, it wasn't made from sustainable yarn, but it's that same coat that she's worn for 10 years. So I think sometimes it's too, it's the shift of short-term versus yes. take time to think long-term. It's not always what we, it's not always the recycled yarn you care about. It's, it's like, does that last a long time? Exactly. Uh, you said something earlier too about I don't know if you heard but when COVID first hit we launched CAP did you did you were you aware of that the COVID assistance the coaches assistance oh, program yes yeah remember that yeah so we launched CAP and it was a way to help coaches and trainers generate a revenue when they weren't allowed back in the barn for that period of time right. remember? Yes. remember that yes yes and we're going to be firing that back up and I'd love for you to be part of that. Of course. I think I, I think I even, I remember reading about it and applying for it. I mean, that was fantastic. Yeah. Um, but what an, I think yeah. driven from like what you're doing as well is I feel like that's how we going to help equestrians actually make this lifestyle sustainable, because I think we're losing so many equestrians and not getting enough new equestrians into the sport every year because it's not yes. sustainable. It's just difficult. Yeah, we have many of conversations on this podcast around that because it's something that um, 
I think some people are uncomfortable to talk about, you know, and, and we do talk a lot about, okay, how are you going to make, make money to live? Not necessarily, you know, there's a lot of people who are so aspirational and inspired to work in this industry. So there's no shortage of that mm-hmm. whatsoever. Um, what, what the, my perspective is, you know, I've learned a lot of hard lessons as someone who's working for themselves in the industry about what it actually costs to run a business in the industry. And, and some of the experience I've had talking to other professionals who have really gone through some serious hardships, mm-hmm. um, obviously the animals and, and the sport keep them in mm-hmm. um, and everyone's equally passionate about it. But I think that there has to be, I mean, especially with everything going on right now in this day and age and the cost of everything going up, not even just in our own industry. Um, there has to be some sort of conversation around, okay, you know, we have to look at things from, from a perspective of also sustaining ourselves as people in the industry. So, mm-hmm. so definitely lots of conversations around that. And I love talking about your brand because I think it's so important for people to understand the purpose and and the vision and the mission that makes me go to you know the store online or go and buy those pieces because I really understand where you know where it's coming from and that means so much to me as a consumer and and instead of you know the quick like I think you were saying you know when you can't afford to buy poor having pieces that are going to last for longer and you know actually serve the purpose and that's been it's it's been hard because there's there's a lot of different apparel companies coming up. It's hard for consumers to decide, you know, what makes sense. And a lot of the time, in my experience, they're just basing their their purchases off of the price tag versus, you know, the functionality and, and the purpose of that piece. Um, I don't so- blame them. I mean, who has time to to dig always and really understand a brand? Um, right. I understand that gets harder and harder. It's so busy, so noisy out there. It is, it is noisy. Yeah. So no, this is great, but there's a lot of people who are, I think almost there's been a shift the last two, two years for people, you know, starting to understand and value where their money is going a lot more. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I love that you talked about that. And, and I wanted to ask you a little bit just out of my own personal interest. I think I put this question in the the outline. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, what does your typical, and there might not be a typical day to day, but Mm -hmm. what does it look like now versus for instance, 10 years ago? Mm-hmm. Good one. Um, I would say maybe the biggest difference between, you're talking about my work day, right? Yeah. yeah my work day. Um, well, the most obvious is I'm working from home. So yeah, that's yeah. a big change and has brought me as a mama of three, a whole lot more balance and just grounding in my life which I'm really grateful for um so I'll never dismiss this there was this major silver lining in my personal life um, coming through COVID as difficult as it's been um so working from home and having predominantly female-based staff we're 22 people and we're mostly women of all ages from just coming out of college to you know some writers some you not and some that are parents and I'd say ego becomes less and less part of your problem and ego is important Jessica I think to be mindful of it's what gets us in the ring sometimes I mean you need a healthy healthy a healthy ego not an egoist kind of uh, ego 
a healthy enough confidence and ego just to be able to go where you in places you may not be you may not receive that reception um and as an entrepreneur you know pretty seasoned business owner 20 years later I'm still finding areas that I'd like to step out of the business and find really great people to be doing, taking over those roles much better than I ever could. Um, so I would say where the difference would be today is it's a blessing to have a team and it's so much more fun. Yeah. It's yeah. so much more fun to be surrounded in people that are creative have ideas that you don't I always encourage independent thinking. I, I really stop a conversation that becomes, you know, this consolidated think tank that does not produce interesting thoughts um, right. and always challenging. I think, I think I spend more time now mentoring. I care a lot about the new people in the team that are, I can see their futures. They, they can't even see what I see because I think, wow, if I was you at this stage and I really try to empower each staff member to feel like an entrepreneur within our business. And if you'd spoke to them, I can feel pretty confident. They'd say, yeah, if I had an idea, she's going to let me try it. <laughs> and that is, that is the difference. I've gone from being, having to be so scrappy in the beginning part of launching companies to at a more mature state, um, and getting a lot of satisfaction out of continuing to design. I'm still the head creator, the creative director for the company. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so much great talent. And, and I guess balancing, I'd say that be the big one. I don't feel guilty. I never took time off. Right. You know, it's hard for me to take time off. I'm sure you're like, your whole world revolves around the schedule, then I'll keep paying the bills. Right? Sure. I got a coach. I got to do this. I have to take this client. I have to do all of that. And as entrepreneurs and as women, I think, you know, that's a, that's a pressure. That's why we're always plagued with this. I'm never doing enough. I'm never getting enough done. I'm not reaching where I want to reach. Um, and I don't say that that gets easier with time, but I think that today people talk about it more. Absolutely. We're more open and we're more connected. We're more willing to have vulnerable conversations. And those are that's beautiful. Yeah, that was kind of a beautiful lead into a question that I thought of as you were talking about your experience, you know, as a woman, as an entrepreneur, and the aspiration to obviously have a family at some point. This is something mm -hmm. in my life that's deep, you know, deep rooted in, in me and something I talk to everyone about who's on here because as a business owner, it gets extremely hard to imagine how that balance would even happen. And if you are a really, you know, passionate, hardworking, ambitious person, usually most entrepreneurs are, mm -hmm. it's also very hard to imagine stepping away um, or backing off a business um, because sometimes our motivation, sometimes our value as women is tied into our productivity, into our accomplishments. Um, and on the other end, there's an expectation too um, when it comes to being a mother. And I wondered your experience with that, if you were comfortable, you know, just exploring it or talking mm -hmm. about it. Oof, it's emotional, right? It's emotional. I mean, you definitely go through stages. I mean, why can't we have it all? Yeah. That's, that's, you know, really. And I think we, 
I think women in general, this is a very generalized statement, but we always say women are multitaskers. Mm -hmm. I find because women also are connected, it's not just it's not just an initiative or product or like a something you have to do for your work. And then you look at your children and then, oh, I've got to do my, you know, this. I think there is a thread for women. We get juiced by that emotional connection along the way. Um, it's, it's a challenge. It'll, of course it's a challenge because you want to do both. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, why shouldn't you do both? Do it. Do it, absolutely do it and trust that you can do it. And the things that you let slide to the, to the wayside are probably the things that are okay to let go to the wayside. And, you know, your partner in life, you know, if you have a partner in life and you're going to go through having children, setting some strong ground rules for relationships <laughs> early in, sure. you know, and being true partners. That's your business partner right there. Your partner that supports you emotionally and, you know, understands that you will need a break. And it is different for moms than it is for dads, plain and simple. When mom, baby needs mom, baby needs mom. And I remember too, you know, I got my company to a position where, too many people we needed to get into a building so built an office space and my daughter was two my two boys were older and I will always remember that drive and it almost made me cry actually I remember that drive to the office the first day and I was so resentful yeah I was so I could feel I was you know as excited as I should have been and I was I was resentful that I had to leave the kids my two-year-old to go to the building and go work. Although I am so passionate about my work. I love my work. Once I get there, you know, I'm totally enthralled in it all. Yeah. But I had that moment of being very aware that, oh, I'm going to miss a part of this. Yeah. You know? Um, and there's good and bad. And I think, you know, we just have to navigate. We can't, that's that fear, Jess. I think it's the, it's just do it sometimes. Right. We can't nothing's ever perfect anyways so if that's what and but getting down to the more serious I can I afford to do it yes that's that's let's talk about that for a second and that's a real concern for any kind of business you might be running that is day-to-day and doesn't have earnings that are set for you you know when you need to take a few weeks off if you're not working you're not making money Um, take this time to find other areas where you can supplement whatever you do for a service. Yeah. It's really important because at some point you have to be prepared that you could be sick. You could be so like any business, that's your risk management. Think of it that way. Okay. I've got a few things I need to do in my business. I am going to have, I want to start a family. Um, if I'm in the service industry, well, I might have to add a couple of products to this that I can sell online that support exactly what I do and what I'm passionate about. Yeah. And it's so, uh, so thank you for sharing that. First of all, mm. it's, very, it's, uh, it's just, it's just so connecting, I think, because I think mm. there's so many women that listen to this, that they, they deal with this, even if they're not in the equestrian industry. Yeah all the time. Um, I have women message me about when we have conversations on here around having children and also, you know, riding and they have the same, um, they have the same kind of inherent guilt or resentment around 
going back to their horse or going back to riding or doing something for themselves when they have their kids at home. So it's the same along those lines if you're not an entrepreneur listening, but this is so relevant to me because we're actually, you know, I never take vacation. We're not on vacation, but we've actually been entertaining, you know, investment homes and stuff like that so that we have potentially more passive income and the imposter syndrome and doubt that I have just been like festering in and the fear, you know, about, oh, like, what are we doing? Is this, there's so many things involved that I didn't expect. And I just look at it as such a learning experience, but how relevant to hear you say those things, because it's speaking to me personally so much. Um, Thank you. Um, But the other thing really, I wanted to also mention was, you know, you were, you were named one of Canada's top female entrepreneurs, which is such a high recognition. Um, How did you, you know, how did you, how did you feel about that? And, and what did that look like for you in your life at that time? Oh, gosh, you don't, don't, don't slap my finger for saying this. Um, (laughs) This is going to sound terrible. No, I honestly don't know. I, it's not that I don't care about it, it's but it it happened yeah, I think <laughs> like, yeah, yeah I, I feel like it it was like okay it was great but just remember you know okay this is the insides of the outsides this is the yeah. insides of these worlds of you know awards and all of that there's also other people that benefit a lot from these awards programs that are out there and they do them and they are great because they highlight you know a lot of great people's work. And, and for that, I was super grateful. But I, I would say <clears throat> not as much, per, it was a nice accolade, let's say, mm-hmm. because you, you do, you work constantly. I mean, I'm, I'm, this brain is on 24 hours. So you work, but any entrepreneur knows you do that inside. There's no external force that's going to make you get up and do the things you do. You do that internally. So they're nice. Yeah. But for the business, because it gives the business some some exposure um maybe the other thing would be you connect with more like-minded people those are the things that I would get out of those things it's like um here sharing these experiences with other with other women in this particular uh, award that have done some or achieved some of the same milestones I don't use success because not all of it's success but achieved certain milestones and you can celebrate those wins together. And that's part of that camaraderie as well of having a network, like the network you're providing for your audience, place to speak, place to share, and place to be very open and very real about it. And you, know, you can't say a lot of the things you wanna really say in public, and that's, that's there for a reason too. Yes, yeah. No, and what I am gathering, you know, from you is just how authentic you are to yourself and how self-validation is kind of how you roll. You know, you, you kind of validate yourself mm-hmm. and you're so in your own, which is so inspiring. <laughs> I dream to be like that one day, just like you. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, you're on your way. It sounds like you're doing the things that you're passionate about. And finances, I mean, they're a real part of life. You're right. They're, oh. they're a real part of life. And when we talk about mental wellness, financial wellness is right up there because that can tear you apart. And I've been through that too. Right. Um, and when you talk about like that middle class of a question, I think that's a really interesting thing that you brought up because the g- biggest demographic 
within the equestrian industry, not necessarily equestrian sport, but the equestrian industry that's growing is actually the 50 year old and plus. Yes. I find our industry is very interesting. And within that, within that segment of trying to make a, make an earnings, you said something that translates to me as a huge opportunity. There are so many thousands and thousands, I'd say, of trainers out there and coaches that are essential to, to the safety and well-being of any, any rider or any horse's safety and well-being as well, that we need. We need, we need good trainers driven from a good place yeah. that can also keep it affordable for us to keep bringing in more of the, I hate to use the word middle class, but make it affordable, period. I don't care how much you're, you're earning. It's ridiculous how much it costs to have horses that as you were saying, because our industry is so far behind, Mm -hmm. um, all the tools you need to have in a barn. I feel like this is, this is going to be my last little comment on this. When you think of what, um, iTunes and the whole music industry has, completely pivoted to an almost open social media accessibility what I mean by that is if you were an artist you're really really you know talented and there's so many so much talent out there that never gets the spotlight you couldn't get to the forefront you couldn't make a penny on it you couldn't get your craft to the front nobody was going to pay for it and you just couldn't get the light I see a huge opportunity for this equestrian industry and I'd like to be a part of it. And I love to see, and this is why the coaches assistance program to me is just the beginning. I feel like there's a lot of work we can do um, to make your services accessible to other people and not just through like the master classes, much more accessible financially. Yeah. So that your work, some of the work you do is repeatable. I mean, you can film some of your work, but make residuals and you need that reoccurring income in order to go have that baby and take some time off and so I feel like that needs to be our mission Jessica oh my god you're so funny I mean what an amazing analogy because that it is this the concept that you're mentioning is like being able to self-publish your work and have people access it Hmm. um of course there's a lot of barriers to that in this industry and you mentioned again super interesting you know one of the the growing demographics is you know the, the over 50 And my take on that would be finally, you know, these people are in a financial place where they can afford to, you know, do their equestrian, even if it's just, you know, to afford to go to a weekend show and have a horse, you know, at a training facility and someone else doing a lot of the schooling for them and they hop on and they get to fulfill their lifelong dream um, because now they're in a different stage of life where they can afford it. I don't think there's more 50 year olds that are all of a sudden becoming interested. I think it's something that people have wanted their entire lives mm-hmm. and now they get to this place and state where they can actually afford to do it. So like you mentioned, definitely affordability um, is something that's, that's, it's a huge issue and the sport has been and, and, uh, and very interesting that you mentioned that. Time is also a big one. I think like, I think I just don't have the time right now in my life to be in a program full-time and have children and run businesses I just don't have the time yeah it's a yeah. full-time commitment having horses it is yeah and um 
yeah, I mean, there's, there's only so many ways that you can do it at different life stages. And, and it's very, I don't know, I think there's so many people that are passionate about it in many different areas. So mm-hmm. um, do you have any exciting uh, things coming up for the spring summer collection with Asmar? I'd love to know um, if there's things that people can look out for when mm-hmm. they're shopping this season. It's a really happy collection. I don't know if you've seen any of the pictures that come out. It's, it's very, it's very <laughs> uplifting. <laughs> I, yeah, it's uplifting. Um, we amended some of the fit of the all weather rider this year. It's, it's, you know, again, another anniversary year for us. So, uh, I'm loving the all weather rider in the light, lightweight for, for hotter climates. So we have the two all weather riders, a winter weight and a summer weight, but the, the colors are so fun. Um, we launched our team apparel category. I'd say that's really great for spring. We've had, after the Olympics, we had so many teams come to us and say, you know, we're, we're a barn. We've got, you know, also limited budget, but, you know, we want our logo. Everybody to look the same. It's so empowering for a business, right? You think about that is our biggest business is our uniforms business, right? Our hospitality business. So, I mean, that's a proven theory. And, and so we're starting to apply that more to equestrian as to how do we empower barns and, and trainers that when they show up at a show, even if it's just a $40 t-shirt, but everybody's in the same color and everybody has a little logo, it's powerful. So we've launched our team apparel program. So the, the core colors will remain in stock for years. So you, as you add new team members, which in fashion doesn't happen, right? You have new styles every collection and then you can't jump into it and keep everybody um, uniformed. Yes. So that's, that's really exciting, getting a lot of lift. Um, so that's really exciting. And the children's is an expanding category. Do you teach, teach children at all? Um, myself, I don't. I, I do teach children, yes, but yeah. not, not the tiny littles anymore, but right. there's lots of them. <laughs> well, I guess my daughter would be the reason I was so in, you know, influenced to start a, a, a girl's collection. So we launched our, da- our girls, our daughters, we launched girls last spring and uh, it did really, really well. And it was just a basic program to test the water, t-shirts and little polos and our classic sustainable long sleeve tea. Did you see them? Yeah, I did. <laughs> They're so cute. So this, so then in fall, we expanded to, you know, really cute preppy little sweaters and everything being under a hundred dollars. We knew like, you know, children's equestrian apparel blew my mind. When I started to look for Coco, my daughter Coco, I could not fathom spending $300 on a show jacket for her. I just was going to refuse to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and a show shirt $200 show shirt I was like that's ridiculous my daughter is going to wear this once and that that was it so this season we launched um, a cute little show shirt for for girls little vest Um, so we're starting to expand more and then we have girls breeches coming out and affordable girls little breeches and they're so cute so yeah lots of lots um, yeah yeah no, that's fantastic. I, um, I, yeah, I got so much myself out of this interview. I wanted to thank you so much for your time and anybody listening, I'm sure can really take a lot away regardless of their situation or position in the equestrian industry, but I loved learning about what you're doing and, and being inspired myself. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jessica, for having me. That was great. Okay, that is everything for today's episode. I know that you guys will take 
I'm sure hopefully some of those tangible steps going forward into your week or your life or whatever it is you have goals that you're setting out to do. I feel like sometimes the podcast is a free masterclass that I'm sitting there and able to ask these people questions and get really fantastic in-depth answers. Um, and that was this was definitely one of those. And I, I really want to continue being more curious, asking more unique questions and bringing that to you guys. So there's something for everyone to learn. Um, we have, you know, more professional riders, niche business owners, animal communicators, um, you know, federal regulatory bodies, uh, schools. Like I have so many different episodes planned for the next little while that I'm sure you guys are going to absolutely love. So I wanted to thank you so much for your listenership. And just being here and hanging out with me, especially if you're still listening to the episode, I've got a lot going on right now and I'm doing my best to be more organized and mindful and relaxed. Um, But, you know, life happens and things get a little crazy. So I can see forward into the late spring, summer and fall and how crazy it's going to be. And I'm just really honestly just grateful that you guys are here and along for the ride with me, um, learning and taking this all in. So I just, yeah, I just really wanted to express that. And I can't wait to bring you more stuff. I will see you guys next week.